the love and support that this community has is back. And, and, you know, a lot of people, because of everything politically and otherwise going on in this country, lose sight of that. But the, the common man's common decency to do the right thing has come back through this tragedy. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. The Sports Business Radio Podcast, why should you listen? We're going to help you learn directly from top sports and business executives, athletes turned business people, content creators, and those working in and around the sports world. Whether you work in the sports or business world, you're a student trying to work in sports, or you just want to add overall business skills to your tool belt. We're going to bring you knowledge that you can apply to your life immediately after listening to our podcast each week. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. My guest on this week's show, Joel Blank. He is the ESPN 97.5 FM in Houston talk show host, formerly with the Portland Trailblazers. We worked together there. He worked for 23 years with the Houston Rockets. We're going to go to Houston and find out the impact of Hurricane Harvey on that community. What are the sports teams and athletes doing to help rebuild? How can you help Houston and the surrounding area rebuild? We'll talk to Joel Blank on this week's show. Well, we have a big announcement to make before we get into this week's show. As you know, we do the Sports Business Radio Roadshow powered by Boingo Wireless. Just in the last year alone, we were in New York City last December for a sit-down with former NBA Commissioner David Stern. We were in Tampa around the College Football Playoff Championship with College Football Playoff Brain Trust Bill Hancock and Michael Kelly. Griggs, we've got a big announcement. We know the featured conversation and the date for our next Sports Business Radio Roadshow powered by Boingo Wireless. It's on December 7th. We'll be back in New York City at Studio B at the Players' Tribune, Derek Jeter's venue there. We also do my Sports PR Summit event there. We were there last December, like I just said, with David Stern for the most listened-to show in the history of Sports Business Radio. We started this show in 2004, so that's saying something. My featured one-on-one conversation before a live studio audience on December 7th at 11 a.m., Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, looking forward to sitting down with him. Griggs, obviously the NCAA has so much conversation around them as a governing body of Division I college athletics. Uh, I've spoken with Mark Emmert before on this show. It's been a few years. I look forward to digging in on some of the biggest issues facing him and the NCAA when we sit down for that conversation. And I know we had a good time in New York last year as well, so it's always worth the trip. Well, two things on this. I mean, Mark Emmert's great. We've had him on, like you said, I think it was back in the BCS era. So it'll be cool to get him more candid on stage and, you know, how you do and open him up to some different things and talk about the world of NCAA, which is massive. And there's so many things going on. So that's going to be fun. And like you said, New York, we pretty much dominated last time. We did. And there's rumors your, your daughter might be coming. She may. We'll see. We, so we that could be to, fun. Yeah. So the ice skating. Oh, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, you had never been to New York. So amazing. you were like, it was like you saw Mars for the first time. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you to Boingo Wireless for powering our sports business radio road show. I love getting out of the studio and doing shows in front of live studio audiences. We record the conversation and then we bring it to you right here on sports business radio. Thank you to Mark Emmert and the NCAA for agreeing to sit down for this conversation. And thank you to the folks at the Players' Tribune for hosting us in Players' Tribune Studio B. It's going to be great. Griggs, a few things before we get into this conversation with Joel Blank from ESPN 97.5 FM in Houston. Uh, I saw something that happened this week, and and I want to weigh in on it. Um, Michael Bennett who plays defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, was in Las Vegas for the Mayweather-McGregor fight and was taken down by police. And, you know, a lot of times you hear about things that happen, but what has changed starting with Ray Rice and other things is we now see the video, right? Like, you can see police reports, you can see he said, she said, but when you see the video, it doesn't lie. And when you see the video... It's appalling what was done to Michael Bennett. And, you know, it's easy for me as a Caucasian male to sit here and and weigh in on this because I haven't faced the things that many of my minority athlete friends have faced, but I'm sickened by it. And I don't want to turn this into a political show, but, you know, when you see athletes speaking out, starting with Colin Kaepernick, Malcolm Jenkins, Anquan Bolden, who I met at my event at the Players' Tribune, when you see them being treated this way and then you see them protesting and trying to make the world a more equal place and and, uh, figure out how people can be treated more humanely, this is why they do it. Because this is not acceptable in society today. I don't care who you are. You shouldn't be treated like Michael Bennett was treated. And he is lucky that, you know, he uh, obeyed everything that was asked of him by the police. They didn't react in a catastrophic way where he could have been killed. But Pete Carroll spoke out on it this week. Uh, Richard Sherman other people from across sports, because again, it's one thing to hear about this. Oh, he was in Vegas for the fight and he was handcuffed and taken away. But when you see the video that was on TMZ.com and you see how this unfolded, it's sickening. And, you know, I will do whatever I can via my platforms and working with my athlete friends, especially my, my athlete friends who are minorities to rid this world of this problem and this treatment because it's it disgusts me. Yeah, it's disgusting. I agree with everything you said. And I do think um, it's good that these athletes are speaking out on it like Michael Bennett. And it does get people talking about it, which I think is good because I think the more it's in our, not, not to say, but it's in our face, you know, we're hearing about it, we're seeing about it. I think it makes us aware of it more. And I think it in the long run will help more. So I'm, I'm excited to see like Michael Bennett and these other athletes that are speaking out Pretty much as soon as it happens. I mean, this just happened, you know, last a week and a half ago. So it's good that it's top of mind and it's it's current and they're speaking out because it's disgusting. It's terrible. And when you hear Richard Sherman of the Seahawks say, you know what, this happens. If you're a black man in America, this is going to happen to you two or three times in your life at least. It's just going to happen. No matter who you are, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, it's just going to happen. That is unacceptable to me. That can't happen. It should not happen going forward. The color of your skin should not dictate how you are treated. 
So uh, this has angered me. Again, I want to use my platforms to bring attention to this. I mean, NFL owners can say, well, we don't want Colin Kaepernick on our team. Do you know Colin Kaepernick has raised $900,000 for charity? His goal was a million. He's going to reach it. Is Colin Kaepernick a distraction? Yeah, because he's bringing up things that are happening in the real world. And some owners don't want that conversation. They want you to just come and play football. But I'm here to tell you, as someone who has a company, everything is on the record, and I sit in locker rooms across sports with pro athletes who are making millions of dollars and have huge social media platforms. I am telling you, they are done being quiet. They are done protecting their endorsements. They are done sitting on their hands and saying, you know what, I can't stick my neck out on this because I'm going to lose a fan base. They're done. Most of them are like, screw it. Look at Anquan Bolden, who I'm trying to get on this show. Played 15 years in the NFL. He just retired because he said, you know what, I have a bigger cause. I'm going to use my platforms that I've built over the last 15 years to shine the spotlight on some things that need to be changed in our world. That's where this is going. Whether it's LeBron James commenting on Twitter, Anquan Bolden speaking out, Malcolm Jenkins, Michael Bennett, Richard Sherman, Colin Kaepernick, the list goes on and on. And then to see other Caucasian athletes standing in unison with their minority athletes who are enduring some of these disgusting things, that's where we need to go to. So I'm a Caucasian guy. I'm using my platform to speak out on this because I'm done watching this happen. It's ridiculous. Do the police need better training? Do we need to stop profiling? Yes, all of the above. Don't don't uh, condemn the athletes who are speaking out on things in our world that need to be done better. You should applaud them for that. It takes bravery. They're risking millions of dollars. They're risking a job like Colin Kaepernick has. They're risking endorsement deals. They're risking a fan base. So just because they're trying to make our world better, don't condemn them for doing that. You should applaud them. How many times have we heard from, uh, you know, my brethren in the media, other people? I wish that athlete stood for something. I wish Michael Jordan took a stand on something. I wish Tiger Woods took a stand on something. I wish this athlete took a stand on something. These athletes that I just mentioned, they're in the, the mold of Muhammad Ali. There's only one Muhammad Ali. But they are using their voice and their platforms, especially social media, to bring awareness to things that need to be better in our world. Don't condemn them for speaking up. All right, coming up next, Joel Blank. He is with ESPN 97.5 FM in Houston. We work together with the Portland Trailblazers. We're going to go to Houston, get a bird's eye view of what's going on there. How are the teams responding? How is the community responding? We'll talk to Joel Blank. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. 
Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Joel Blank. You can find him on ESPN 97.5 FM in Houston. He's formerly with the Portland Trailblazers, where we met and worked together. He also worked with the Houston Rockets for a number of years. You can find him on Twitter at Pac-Man Joel. Joel, how are you? And thank you for joining us. I wanted to get an overview of how everything is going in Houston after Hurricane Harvey. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, Bergie, you know I'd always do it for you. Our friendship will be there for a lifetime, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, everything here, it's weird because, you know, people get a sense of getting back to normal simply because traffic, uh, because of the fact that, you know, roads are open. Traffic is moving again. But it doesn't take more than a glance to your right or your left when you're driving on the highways to see that there are still major devastation. There's still pockets of this community in this city that are underwater and there are still communities, especially outlying communities. Everybody focuses on Houston. There's so many outlying communities uh, surrounding Houston that took damage that aren't getting the love and support and relief efforts that Houston is getting. And this is going to be a process. It's, it's starting, but it's nowhere near even scratching the surface of what has to be done to try and get this city back. Yeah, billions and billions of dollars worth of, of damage there. But the thing that I'm reading and seeing in pictures and in video is it seems like everyone there has rallied together and you see complete strangers helping each other out. Is that what you're noticing as well? Yeah, no question. That has been the greatest gift that this city could have ever gotten out of this incredible tragedy. That is that, uh, you know, you saw they call them the Cajun Navy, came from Louisiana, guys that just came with boats. People came from out of the woodwork with boats and with rescue vehicles and and started the process. I work with so many guys uh, throughout our, our, our whole radio team, and everybody to a man made a difference going to houses, ripping out drywall, ripping out carpeting, helping the elderly. Uh, you're seeing just amazing, incredible gestures. Uh, our, you know, our, our very famous fa- furniture uh, guy here in town, Mattress Mac, Jim McInvale, has three major showrooms in Houston. He opened the doors to all three of those showrooms just to be relief centers for people to be able to escape and get a roof over their head. Didn't care what it did to their, his furniture. Allowed them to bring their pets in. Allowed the first responders and military to sleep on all of his mattresses. Um, just amazing gestures across the city. And, of course, you mentioned, you know, what's going on in this city. You'd be remiss if you didn't mention J.J. Watt. Uh, I'm a Wisconsin guy. I'm a J.J. guy. Uh, but I also know that sometimes people get sick of J.J. After this, no one should ever question anything about J.J. Watt ever again. As of this morning, almost $28 million raised, and that doesn't include all of the goods that he's collected and started to distribute from Gatorade and water to diapers and, and hygiene products. Uh, he's going out of his way to make sure that this city climbs back uh, and recovers. And it's it's just been an amazing, amazing display of togetherness for one community, especially with how divided this nation can be at times. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's amazing about J.J. Watt is 
he started off with a goal of $200,000 on youcaring.com. So you can go to youcaring.com backslash JJ Watt if you want to donate. And like you said, it's up to almost $28 million. So the goal was 200000 He's at almost $28 million. It just shows, you know, you work with athletes like I do, and I always tell them, Never underestimate the power of your platform. You have an amazing platform, and if you want to rally people together, you can do it much greater than I can. And to see what he's done and to see the other athletes across sports and even celebrities, entertainers, and and regular people who have donated $5 to this, he's really rallied some people. He's shined the spotlight on where the work needs to be done there. I know other people have given too, but certainly his effort has been the most high profile. Would you agree with that? Oh, without question. And not only high profile, but you know, the, with the results that he's getting, it, it deserves the notice and the publicity that he's receiving simply because of the fact he put 500000 of his own dollars in. If you want to talk about the athlete that donated the most, James Harden put a million dollars in. He was a little after the fact because J.J. had started his effort. But like you said, it doesn't matter if you put a dollar, five dollars, whatever you put in. It all can make a difference if it's put in the right place. Uh, you know, the other day he was out distributing uh, goods and ser- goods and services throughout the community, helping people uh, with his team rip out drywall, but distribute Gatorade and water and all these supplies. And people are saying, so is this the start? No. He said, this hasn't even touched a dollar of what we've raised. This is just a separate aspect of that where people wanted to make a difference. He's got a local food sponsor here, a grocery store chain. They donated $5 million yesterday. Jimmy Fallon's on board. He donates a million. Ellen's on board. You know, and, and you see this, what this widespread, like you said, stardom can do. People see him in Houston, and they see him all over the place, as you know. When you get a, a, a local, a star in a local community, you're going to get the, the local car dealer. You're going to get the grocery store chain. But you get a couple of national ads here and there, but you don't really have a way of really kind of gauging to a full extent how big the popularity is. Something like this completely defines how popular and, and how loved J.J. Watt is simply because of the fact that it's unheard of the amount of money he's raised. You, you're right. He started with a goal of 200000 He started throughout half-day periods of time updating that goal, saying, let's go for a mil. Let's go for five. It started jumping so rapidly that he was like, I don't know if we should even set another one, but let's go for an outrageous goal. Let's go for 15, then 20, then 25. Now he's at 28 and a half. Uh, you don't know when it's going to stop, but you don't want it to because – you know, like you said, look, a lot of people are guesstimating hundreds of millions of dollars it's going to take to completely rebuild. Well, when you look at what he's done just by himself, you've already got a big chunk of that. Then you take Les Alexander, the owner of the Rockets, and, and he's donating 10 mil. And the Astros are donating four. And the Texans are donating another two. And then other teams start getting on board. And other players, Chris Paul, right off the bat, 50 grand. Akeem Elijah won 150 grand. Dikembe Mutombo all of a sudden jumps in with 50. It all makes a difference, and it shows you that the love and support that this community has is back. And, and, you know, a lot of people, because of everything politically and otherwise going on in this country, lose sight of that. But the the common man's common decency to do the right thing has come back through this tragedy, and that's what I think is so great. You see it in the sports world because it's publicized, but you just walk down any street that's suffered any of the devastation – and you see the effort that people are making just to make a difference. And, and Bergie, it's, it's worth mentioning, a lot of these people that are doing the rescues and doing the, the, the rebuilds and helping people, they lost everything 
yet their first commitment is, I need to make a difference with somebody else. Yeah, that's amazing. And it is good. It restores your faith in humanity when you see people like the ones in your community coming together. You know, you mentioned J.J. Watt, Ellen DeGeneres, Jimmy Fallon. The other thing I I like about what J.J. Watt has done in the interviews I've seen with him, he said that he's talked to a lot of the experts who raise money for Hurricane Katrina. And how did they Mm -hmm. spend that money? And so it's not like it's a a guy who's raising money and saying, hey, you know, what are we going to do with all this money now? Like he seems like he's got some people around him who have a plan for how this money is going to be spent. I mean, look, the elephant in the room is after 9-11, everyone is skeptical of when I give money to an organization, is that money going to go to the cause or is it going to go to line some CEO's pocket? And with J.J. Watt, he's already making so much money, you know it's not going to go to line his pocket. But the thing I like about what he's doing is he's tweeting out pictures. He's showing video. Like, here's a warehouse with all the supplies that we're sending here. Like, it's a very transparent process. And I always tell people who I'm working with, if they're charities, like, you have to be transparent with where this money is going. Because if you're not, people are going to wonder where it's going. Well, Bergie, it's an excellent point, and I'll take it past 9-11. Because of Katrina, because of all of the different Ike, because of all the different hurricanes and tropical storms that Houston has seen, we've seen and heard about exactly what you're talking about, people not being transparent, people not trusting that their money is going where it should be going. Even the Red Cross was questioned because they thought that some of the money and a good percent was not going to the Houston area. It was going to Red Cross nationally. So we had James Palmer on my show yesterday from the NFL Network who covers the Texans on a regular basis, who was sitting on one of the buses with J.J. as they were going and trying to do some of their efforts in the community in the last couple of days. And he basically said, aside from the three hours a day that I'm working out or at team meetings, I, when I put my phone on airplane mode, this is on me. I have committed that I'm going to be transparent. I have committed that it's all going to go to Houston, and I am putting my word on the line, which means I am personally going to be that guy that sees this thing through to make sure that it every bit of every dollar and every donation goes to the right place to help the right people. And it's fantastic, because we all know the NFL season kicks off tonight. We know the fact that He's got a job to do, too. But in the process, he hasn't lost sight of the fact that I'm not just putting my name on this thing and having my quote-unquote people do some work for me. If I'm going to put my name on this thing, then I am going to to see it through to fruition and make sure it's transparent and make sure it's distributed the right way. Now, that's an uphill battle because you've got people in all these different neighborhoods going, that sounds great, but how do I apply? Where do I get part of that? How do I know you know, where he's going to be distributing and if I fall into that category. Those are questions he still has to answer because, like I said, that money hasn't been touched yet. But at least he's making the commitment, and you can tell by manpower hours, he personally is putting in the work to see this thing through, which a lot of guys wouldn't do. So I give him a lot of credit from that regard as well. And the truckloads are coming from all over the place. And, you know, we mentioned J.J. Wattbergy, but here's a good story for you. Kelvin Sampson, longtime college and NBA coach, right. was a former Rockets coach. Now he's the head coach at the University of Houston. I had him on my show a week or so ago, and he said he was sitting around thinking, what can I do? And he was talking to his sons, uh, one of them being one of his assistant coaches. And he wrote out on an envelope on the dining room table, hey, what if we sent a tweet like this and and, and put a plea out to the basketball community, whether it's AAU or high school or college or whatever it is, and say, hey, I'm trying to make a difference. I need 10 pairs of shoes, 
preferably in sizes that fit common people, not 15s and 16s, <laughs> and 10 or more T-shirts and see what would happen. He sent that tweet out, and as of last calculation, they're expecting over 40,000 T-shirts and over 17,000 pairs of shoes that keep rolling into the campus of the University of Houston where semi-trucks pick them up and start distributing them all over the city. And, and he's making a difference. And, from you know, one tweet. He and I talked to yeah, from one tweet. And you and I know this because we created a bond by working in basketball. And that bond will never be broken. Well, Calvin and I had the same situation because we worked in basketball with the Rockets. And I said, Coach, can you kind of can you break down and get into what it means to have a family, a, a basketball family, a family created by basketball, not by blood? And he goes, you know what, Joel, you're dead on right. He goes, because I didn't know how deep and strong the bond of basketball was till I sent that tweet. And then – you know, everyone from Coach K in Duke to the smallest Christian high school in rural Oklahoma are sending T-shirts, shoes. He said companies that don't have T-shirts or shoes are sending, like, uh, he said uh, IT companies are sending phone chargers and identifying, hey, look, we could make this bigger than just shoes and shirts. And you see an effort being, you know, done there. And the sports community, through a bond separate from blood, has really stepped up in this community to make a difference. And, and that's, again, great to see. People love sports for a lot of reasons, but they love sports because of the fact that, yes, it, it can be a distraction sometimes. It also can be a huge difference maker. Now, i got to ask you about this. Your wife is a news anchor, a TV news anchor. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading with so much admiration the journalists, the TV anchors, the radio people like yourself, the newspaper writers – who are out in the field, not only like rescuing people, but obviously spending many hours on the air trying to get news to people in that area. Give our listeners a little bit of a glimpse of what it's been like for your wife, because I would imagine that it's been pretty grueling hours since this hurricane hit. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of all that, their station was devastated by the flood. So she's on the air and working 12-hour shifts, and they've already told every on-air anchor, look, plan to actually stay at the station uh, for up to three to five days because they knew how big this storm was. Wow. And that was under the premise that the station would be fully operational. The, the station, unfortunately, was located directly by one of the bayous that floods almost immediately. And after the first day, day and a half, they got between five and ten feet of water lost the entire first floor of the station. And you know how that goes with the electronics and the oh satellites my God. and different things. So they went off the air for basically a good half a day while they tried to figure out what to do. And they basically made a makeshift station out of one of the community access uh, sta- uh, stations over by the University of Houston, uh, a public access station. And it really literally looked like they just took a round table and some chairs and put a, a big screen TV behind them, but they knew they had a job to do. So the big, the, the, on the other side of the equation, you know, we have a two-year-old daughter. We have five dogs. My wife doesn't like to be away from home a whole lot, but now she's going to be separated from her family from three to five days. They send her home after the first day of storms because their meteorologist says, look, I think we're going to catch a break. So why don't you let those guys go home and really recharge their batteries because we're going to need them for like three to five days straight after this. Unfortunately for everyone involved, except she got to spend some time at home, when the storm hit, it hit early. 
Now I got to try and find a way and feel good about the fact that my wife has to leave, drive through all these flooded streets, uh, try to find a way to get her to where they're broadcasting because she's dedicated to her job. It's like you or I, if we're sitting on the sidelines nursing a minor injury and our team's out there playing and we want to make, you know, we want to be out there. Uh, so thankfully their traffic guy is actually good at what he does. And he texted her, uh, the back roads ways that he knew where she could actually get back to this station, uh, got back there, ended up staying as most everybody did in someone's office that became a makeshift hotel room, which was just a couch or a cot, uh, and spent, you know, 12 hours a day on the air and then, you know, tried to, you know, get some food and some rest before they did it all again. Uh, at a station that wasn't even theirs, just to deliver services to the people because they knew how important it was with people going through everything to get the news, to get the latest updates, to get the information from FEMA. Uh, So they had to go through all of that, and that's something that people lose sight of too because of the fact that everybody's hustling and bustling to do what they have to do. But when you turn on the TV, the only time that anybody pays any attention is if you see color bars and the station's off the air. So... Yeah, they're going through it. They're going to continue to go through it because now that the storm is passed, it's like it would be easy if you still had your station to build another station until it was time to transform into that station and transfer. Now they're going to have to do this makeshift setup for God knows how long until they figure out what they're going to do with the station. Wow. That's crazy stuff. So for our audience that's listening to this right now, what are the biggest areas of need? If you want to give, what would be your suggestions on the best way to give? I think that people did a heck of a job here donating clothes uh, right off the bat, clothes and, and shoes and, and all those kind of basic necessities from a clothing standpoint, right right off the top to where shelters said, look, we're inundated with all of that stuff, even sheets and bedding. People came out of the woodwork and donated. Uh, what they really need the most now are cleaning supplies uh, and, and hygiene products. Uh, everybody's trying to do get through this cleanup effort, and as part of it, you need the bleach and you need the cleaners and you need – you know, the things to try and get the mold out. Um, you need, for babies, they need diapers. They need all kinds of hygiene products. And and, and I guess it's the old adage, but it's true. The, the, the cash can be the biggest donation, the, the biggest, make the biggest effort uh, and impact uh, with that kind of a donation simply because then they can allocate it exactly where they need it. If it is for any of those that I mentioned, they can go out and buy them. If there's people that are having problem with their bills or an issue with this or that, they can go out and help them. Um, and so there's many different ways to contribute, but nothing would be turned away. Those are just the best ways to make an impact at addressing the needs of the people in this community. And again, com backslash J.J. Watt. He's raised almost $28 million via his efforts. There's plenty of ways to donate to Houston. You can Google it or you can go to Red Cross. As far as the sports teams, you mentioned NFL season starts tonight. Uh, the Houston Texans home stadium, the facilities for the Rockets and the Astros, are those in working condition? I know, you know, the Astros have returned home. Uh, give our listeners who may not have had a chance to see what those venues look like, are they in working condition? Yeah, they absolutely are. And, you know, it was unfortunate. There was a, a bit of a, a media tussle that went on between the Rangers uh, and the Astros Saw because it. of the yeah. fact that they're, they're, they're heated rivals. Uh, you know, the Astros had been on the road. What was supposed to be a three-game road trip turned into, you know, a, a, a nine- and ten-day trip and, and tons of uncertainty while they're worrying about their families and their houses. They were in Dallas. Everybody thought, well, the easiest thing to do is flip-flop the series, 
you have two series left with the Rangers. One would be in Houston uh, this this last weekend. The other one in September would be in Arlington. Just flip them. The Rangers weren't willing to do that. It really irritated people in Houston. They were forced to play in Tampa. Uh, I think for no other reason than the guys had their minds very understandably on other things. The series didn't go well. The Rangers took two of three, and the mayor stepped up here in Sylvester Turner in Houston and said, look, we need you as a statement for our people to play back in Houston. And they came back. Uh, they also got the Mets to not only agree to come and play the series in Houston, but to play a doubleheader on Saturday, giving everybody Friday off so that they could get with their families, so they could get their priorities straight, and they could get their affairs in order. And the Mets came in early, and the Mets were in the community making a difference, trying to trying to volunteer, which was awesome. Uh, and so they came back. But one of the first bright spots for this community, the Astros tweeted out after the sun came up for the first time after the storm, a tweet that basically said, we're okay, the roof's open. And the the open roof, sun shining in on a beautiful baseball field, made people think, hey, wait a minute, there is light at the end of the tunnel. This might be okay. The Texans and their practice facility and their stadium never had an issue. It was just, could the people get there uh, and make sure that the, there was going to be you know, enough for you know, roadways, thoroughfares, people could get there to do their jobs from the maintenance staff to the concessions. Everything's fine, so they're going to play the Jaguars on Sunday. They're okay. The Toyota Center actually became another spot to house people that were displaced in their homes, uh, and they took on as a shelter uh, a lot of people that were overflowing from our convention center, which was used for Super Bowl and was so such a huge facility uh, to house everything for Super Bowl. Well, they had over 10,000 people there, so the overflow was just too great, and they had to look for another venue. Toyota Center right down the street opened their doors they took on a lot of people as well. So the venues are all intact. Um, everything is set from that standpoint. The Texans will play on Sunday. We really feel for you know Miami and, and Florida right now because we've been there, done that, and we know what you're looking at it. And so when the NFL made the decision to postpone that game, that's the right call because you don't – if you're the people of Miami, you don't want to lose a home game and then have the, the guys with their minds somewhere else where that's where people get hurt. You know, that's why the Texans' last preseason game was canceled, because they couldn't have players that were going out to play a contact sport, but their minds were on their family and their houses, and the fact that they hadn't been home since the storm hit either. They were staying in Dallas as well, and the Cowboys were hosting them on, in their facilities. They didn't want that. So I, I really commend the NFL and, and everybody involved in the decision to postpone that Buccaneers-Dolphins game this weekend because of the fact that we know, and having talked to players that experienced it in the past when Ike hit, that would have been a huge mistake to try and play a preseason game, let alone a regular season game. So Houston, from a sports venue perspective, is getting back to normal. They will play the game Sunday. But we also realize what Miami's going through, and our hearts and prayers go to them, and they made the right decision postponing that game. All right, well, I've got you. I've got to ask you a few big news items that have happened on the Houston sports scene in the last few weeks. Number one, this week, Les Alexander, the longtime owner of the Rockets, you mentioned earlier in this conversation, he's donated $10 million to the hurricane recovery efforts, sold the Rockets for an all-time record $2.2 billion, and he sold the team to a gentleman who has deep ties to Houston, um, tell our audience a little bit about that and, you know, what's the sense in Houston 
for that sale because Les Alexander has been kind of an iconic figure in Houston. He's owned the team for, for decades, and, and now it has new ownership. Yeah, without question, Les is basically, especially after the $10 million donation, uh, he is, is seen as the, the one of the best, if not the best owner in the history of Houston sports. He's been passionate. He's always believed in two things, winning championships, giving back to the community, and he's never fallen short on that. And as you know, he's gone for it over the years by making trades to get Charles Barkley and Scottie Pippen and now Chris Paul. Um, it shocked me, having worked for that organization for 23 years, to hear that he was even considering selling the team. But I knew if he was going to sell it, he is such a shrewd businessman that he was going to sell it, and he was going to sell it at its optimum value. And he did that, $2.2 billion. But more more important than anything else, he got a local guy in Tillman Fertitta, who's born and raised Houstonian, who owns the Landry's food chains. He owns casinos in Las Vegas. He owns the Golden Nugget. He owns uh, casinos in Louisiana. Um, he is he's worth three over three billion. He paid two point two billion, but he's also been a guy that's been passionate about Houston sports. He's a, a board of regents for the University of Houston. He is big in the Houston community in the fact that from a Cougars and University of Houston perspective, he was knee deep in everything with Tom Hearn and trying to keep him and negotiating on the sports side. Uh, they're building new facilities with his name on them for football and basketball because of the fact that he's dedicated to sports. So from a Houston perspective, if you were going to find anybody that's going to try and fill the shoes of Les Alexander, I think you found the right guy. Uh, you got a guy that's going to be committed to winning, but he's passionate about sports in the community. He knows Houston. Uh, and I think that the biggest thing that's going to be remain to be seen, but we're hopeful is that he's going to be passionate about the basketball side of things. The same way Les went out and got the players I mentioned, he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to say, yes, pull the trigger to get the guy that maybe puts him over the top or makes them competitive for a title. We've had too many owners in this town that talk a good game, but when it comes down to it, all they're worried about is if the franchise is making money, then I'm not going to take any risks to get out extra players that cost a lot of money that may or may not get me a championship. Speaking seen a lot of those. Yeah, speaking of which, that brings me to my next question. The Astros, yep. who their owner is Jim Crane, right? Yep. Uh, yep. You know, he bought that team. Some people think he overpaid for the team. He's been reluctant to spend money. Well, he went out and got Justin Verlander uh, in the last week. And as you know, Joel, the, the package deal that comes with Verlander is Kate Upton. I saw her sporting the Astros hat yep. all over social media during his first start. But, you know, that sends a message to the organization, too, and the fans in Houston that, look, we're going for it. We have a good team this year. We're going to go out and get one of the best arms in baseball over the last 10 years, has that injected some enthusiasm in Houston sports fans and especially Astros fans? Absolutely, Bergie. It was on the table, and it's been talked about, that some of the things in the negotiations with the Tigers that really pushed the Astros to make this deal was, we need to make an impact in this community. And if we did this, can you imagine just the tidal wave of support we could get, not only in this city, but nationwide, as pulling for the underdog and the underdog making a run for it with all of this uh, in their rearview mirror and trying to survive all of this devastation, if their team could somehow be competitive throughout the playoffs, can you think about how America would support this underdog and jump on board? Whether that's true or not, Jim Crane was a guy, and, I, and the baseball franchise is one that has really been targeted in terms of happy to be here, happy to be you know on the, on the major league sports scene, but not willing to make the extra 
commitment to try and win. Now, when you're losing 100 games a year like they have been in the past, you understand that, hey, it's, it's a rebuild, so you don't need to go out and spend money on free agents, and you don't need to make blockbuster trades. But when you have the, the, the team that they have put together and you have the roster that's going to be intact for the next three to five years, and we all know Sports Illustrated on their cover picked them to be the World Series champs a couple years ago for this year, you, you, your focus and your priorities change. With that, everybody had a great deal of anticipation at the trade deadline, and when it came and went and they didn't make a move, the target was definitely on the back, and it was that same reputation is, is holding true. Jim Crane is a shrewd businessman, but he's not going to be a sports owner that the city wants. Here we go with the, the, the waiver claim deadline, and not only do they make one deal, but the one that's being overlooked is they make two deals. They get Cameron Mabin, a center fielder from the Angels, who has just been basically a guy with speed and defense. He has four hits and 16 at-bats with the Astros. Three of them are home runs. The other one was an RBI, uh, a single that got two plated two, uh, two RBIs, and, and he's had uh, two defensive assists, and it looks like everything's coming up roses. The Verlander deal, the Mabin deal, they've infused a ton of energy into this community to say, hey, they're wearing a patch above their heart that says Houston Strong. People believe that, and they believe that this team is now strong enough to win the World Series, and what greater story would it be if after all this devastation, the Astros were actually able to see that through to fruition. So, yeah, Jim Crane has made the effort. And, yes, you know, the Tigers agreed to take on some of the salary. More importantly, they didn't have to give up any of their top, top prospects or, more importantly, any on their major league roster that would have made a difference in this playoff run. They're now deeper than most teams positionally. They're still one of the best, if not the best, offensive team in the league. And now they've got pitching, which was their biggest question mark and weakness, that they can actually go and go head-to-head with a Corey Kluber in the Indians or a, a Chris Sale in the Red Sox. And you know, and they can compete with anybody in the American League, let alone in, in baseball. So uh, that's something, believe me, believe me, in this community, they're hanging their hats on. They are looking forward to the playoffs and saying, nothing could uplift us more than watching this team succeed and knowing that everyone's behind them. So it's been exciting from the Astros' perspective. Joel Blank, the host on ESPN 97.5 FM in Houston. You can follow him on Twitter at Pac-Man Joel, and that's Pac like the Green Bay Packers because you're a big Packers guy. P-A-C-K-M-A-N, Joel. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. The other thing, you know, boy, I miss our days of hooping. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell our audience, 1992, Basketball yep. Tournament of the Americas in Portland. Nike does a three-on-three tournament for, like, the media and the VIPs. And me, you, and uh, Nick Jones, we, we took that yep. thing. We, we brought home. We are the, we, the, play, the plaque says it all. We're, we were world champions because you still have people the plaque? came from all over the world. I still have the plaque. And, by the way, the other plaque I have you, you refused to mention was, just like the NBA three-point competition, they had a three-point competition. And right next to my world champion three-on-three team plaque, <laughs> I have the world champion three-point shooter plaque, which I also won. So, uh, you know, it, that was – I always will look back fondly on that and to be able to say, hey, literally, we were the world champs because we played teams from all over different countries. Uh, but that's – I, you know, I still play. It's crazy, but I'm still playing in leagues, and I'm playing. I have a group that's played for 15 or 20 years on Saturday mornings, all playing competitively at one point in our, our lives where we still stay involved. You know, we talked about that bond of basketball. Charles Woodson of the Packers and Raiders, the Hall of Famer, or soon to be, 
His brother and I played for years in city leagues here. He's now in Green Bay running a bar with Charles's name on it with all of his memorabilia inside of it, and he called me midweek and said, Joel, how, can you help me distribute? And I go, what are you talking about? Are you in town? He said, no, the police department and all the major companies here knew that I used to live in Houston. They wanted to make a difference. They have two or three semi-loads of goods and, and, uh, and hygiene products that they want to get down there as soon as possible. They just don't know where to go. Can you help me? I picked up the phone. I started working on it. And the next thing you know, these three, two or three semi-loads are going to go directly to help people in the next week uh, coming from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and coming down to this community. And the, it was all because of the bond that I created with a guy back in the day playing basketball. So that's awesome. You, know, you and I started it. And, and like we said, that's a lifetime of friendship that will never go away. And Again, there's others out there that just through the bond of sports has, has created so many ways to help. Well, I'm glad you and your family are okay. Uh, thank you for giving our audience an overview of what's going on there, how people can help. Uh, is there anything else that you want to plug or say before we, we wrap this up? No, I appreciate you having me on. You know, I'll do it for you anytime. And you know that I still think Portland is my favorite and most beautiful city in the whole world. Uh, I miss it every day. My best friends are still there. Uh, but again, you know, any time for you and anything you need, and uh, we'll always talk uh, throughout the year about sports and other things. But sometimes when we talk about real life, it can make a difference too. Absolutely, keep up the good work. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Ergon Office, who manufacture beautiful, high quality electronic standing desks. Co-founded by former hockey player Sam Finn. Ergon Office is on a mission to inspire people to live a more active lifestyle because the human body just wasn't meant to be sitting 13 hours a day. When I'm not in the recording studio, I have a home office and I like to alternate standing and sitting throughout the course of the day. If I don't, my back gets sore or it'll lock up. I also get an energy boost every time I stand and work or talk on the phone. Studies have proven alternating between sitting and standing leads to increased productivity and a reduction in muscle disorders like back pain or carpal tunnel, which costs society close to $50 billion annually in lost productivity and medical bills. What I love the most about Ergon Office is that the desks adjust using an embedded touchscreen, allowing you to switch seamlessly between a sitting and standing position in seconds. You can even save your preferred heights for more convenience. Ergon Office's height-adjustable desks are available in Canada and the United States. Change how you work and be healthier in the process. Ergon Office has beautiful, high-quality desks with a unique design, and they couldn't be easier to adjust. Their customer service is great, too, so they'll help you find the best desks that work for your needs. I'm a really big fan of this company. Check them out at ergonoffice.com backslash SBR and use the promo code SBR10 to get 10% off any standing desk. That's ergonoffice, E-R-G-O-N-O-F-I-S dot com backslash SBR, promo code SBR10. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ergonoffice. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom. 
via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.